Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. This is the podcast where we're talking about the digital revolution, the extraordinary things happening in our professional lives and our personal lives. And we're really excited today. We've got a fantastic episode, not only with our good friend, Pat Fitzgerald, who uh, has a recruiting firm called Career Ave, but also Pat has brought along, brought along a wonderful guest, Pam Seplo, who's going to be discussing with Pat some very powerful ideas around culture these days. So Patrick, it is a pleasure to have you as always. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Thanks, Bob. It's great to be back with you again. And uh, we're excited. I, I'm very fortunate to have a, a friend that I've worked with for many, many years and have huge respect for, Pam Seplow. So we're going to talk about what, what I think we consider to be a bit revolutionary, how when in the day we worked very closely with executive recruiting and learning and development to really enable the client at the time, our company that we work for, to be able to um, really hire properly, but re but build a retention program and then build in a lot of the development programs. And we partnered very, very closely. And I think we did this early on before many other companies where we partnered executive recruiting and learning and development to really give a cradle to grave approach to leadership development. But let me turn it over to Pam and let Pam introduce herself and then we'll jump into the, the gist of the conversation. Great, it's so nice to be with both of you today. Yeah, so I own a company called PS Squared Advisors. Uh, we're a boutique HR consulting firm and we work with organizations of all shapes and sizes, um, really around employee experience and helping organizations to either identify or codify the culture that they want and the type of employee experience that they want for their employees. And then work with them to think about what are the right programs, processes, or initiatives to put in place in order that they're actually delivering on those promises. So a lot around employee engagement, a lot around leadership development, and a lot around change management and communication. And, and Pam, like I said, it's really nice to be with both of you guys today. How do they get in touch with you, Pam? Uh, best way is at uh, Pam at PSSquaredAdvisors.com. Perfect. Thank you. It's great to see you and great to have you back. And, and frankly, Pam and I have talked about this topic for years, Bob. We worked for, we were very fortunate to work for a company that really had a leadership team that really allowed us to be kind of out of the box and, and quite creative in the way we approached attraction, development, and then retention, and then growth for the leaders of this particular company. Uh, Pam and I worked really close when it came to how did we bring in the outside assessment tool? How was it used in the interview cycle? How was it then handed over to learning and development and our HR partners, our colleagues to be able to then develop specific programs, create high potential programs? Uh, and, and ultimately, one of the things that I think came out of this was it also helped this company and the leader that we work for to develop a culture. It was a planned developed culture versus uh, a culture that happens like many other companies. So uh, Pam and I are going to open up and talk a lot about how executive recruiting worked very closely with learning and development and, and really was able to build on the opportunity to, to attract and then retain the talent. And to this day, we were just talking about this earlier, um, that company, a uh, well-known company. Now, I was told yesterday by one of the key executives that out of that leadership team that we were fortunate enough to be a part of hiring and developing, uh, now 32 of those executives are in CEO slots in the wow. tech world, which yeah. is really interesting. Pat, that's fascinating. And it's such an important thing right now. I just want to make two quick observations here. One, uh, 
just broadly, you know, with a, a podcast called Cloud Wars Live, you think it'd be all this sort of techie, geeky stuff. But uh, what we try to focus on here, and certainly, Pat, it's the reason why your uh, monthly involvement has been so essential here is um, there, there's more it's about business strategy, how companies try to position themselves for success and cloud technology can help with that. But it's really more that high level view. And I do think it's funny to this day, Pam, one of the things that Pat and I have laughed about before is you hear people say all the time, people are most important asset and, uh, you know, the, and they willing uh, openly talk about this thing, the worldwide battle war for talent, that it's everywhere. Yet at the same time, many of those people still refer to each other as well, a back office function, right? As if it's, uh, you know, not out there on the front line. So I, I really am so excited about the two of you being here today because all those things you're talking about, uh, executive recruiting, development, learning and development, culture, these things, they're just essential in this extremely fast-paced, fast-changed world today. And I think, Pam, in the chatting beforehand, you made a point about your company is going to have a culture and it's either done purposefully, as Pat had described a little bit, or it's going to be the result of something that might or might not be so good for your business. So, Folks, again, it's really a pleasure. It's so important, this topic that you're going to be describing. So, Pat and Pam, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. And you're right. I mean, we, we've talked about this. You and I have had the opportunity over the years, Bob, to really talk a lot about how companies evolve and, and how great companies have really uh, you know, shown themselves and other companies have certainly been challenged you know, to, to really be able to scale. Uh, I think what Pam and I had the opportunity to do in the early days was really collaborate under a leader and a leadership team that allowed us a lot of autonomy and a lot of flexibility. Uh, and we kept executive recruiting kind of separate. And, and, and actually, ultimately, Pam knows this, we ultimately moved executive recruiting under leadership and development for a period of time to really couple it together closer, you know, through that, that a, a massive growth stage that we were a part of. Um, so, Pam, um, I don't know where you want to begin, but we should talk about the assessment tools when we yeah. began to do that and then how we were able to utilize that in the interview and then over to the learning and development and how your team created the high potential and, and really be able, was able to do individualized uh, development programs for the leaders, which I thought was I thought was brilliant. And, and I watched it evolve and become, um, you know, such an important part of the growth of this company and the, ultimately the, the scale of this leadership team. And Pam makes a really valid topic, which I know she's going to go into is we built a culture that was a bit specific. We were trying to be careful. But at the same time, we also focused in the early days, way back before it was frankly popular, on the DEI space. And we were really focused on that. And that really continued to evolve that culture even faster, I think, Pam, to, to this day yep. than, than, than many other competitors. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think there was always a recognition that um, uh, I think diversity of thought uh, yes. and diversity of experience was important. Yep. Um, and uh, specifically in the early days, there was real internally, there was a lot of opportunity for people to take their experiences and move it to different parts of the business because um, it was easier to sort of help train somebody on a different part of the business than on the business itself. Yep. Um, and so particularly in the early days, there was a lot of opportunity for people to rotate through um, different departments, leveraging the experience that they already had. Yep. And for a while, I think that um, that uh, was sort of out of vogue to do. 
and organizations want people to have really specific skill sets and experiences. And what I'm seeing now with my clients is that the pendulum sort of swinging back yeah. and that diversity of thought and that diversity of experience is becoming more important um, as organizations want to broaden uh, uh, sort of broaden their thought leadership and broaden um, how they're bringing new talent into the organization, particularly Bob, as you said, because the war for talent has probably never been harder than it has than it is right now uh, for a whole host of reasons. Um, and so I'm seeing sort of that pendulum swing of internal rotations, taking a chance on both internal candidates, but also taking a chance on external candidates where maybe they don't have a traditional, the traditional experience that you would expect to hire somebody in at a role. Organizations are willing to take a little bit more of a, of a risk or a chance on that. So Pam, if you're comfortable, what I'd like to do is kind yeah. of begin where we were allowed to bring in an outside firm to develop an assessment tool. Yep. And back in the day, those assessment tools were pretty extensive. I mean, they were, they were, they were rising. It wasn't, wasn't unique. But what we found was the, the, tool, the company that we used was huge, and they had acquired many uh, analytics tools to be able to enable that assessment tool. But what we did different, which I think, Pam, you'll be able to go into a lot more detail, was we asked them to, because most of those companies developed a tool that was against market, specific to the tech world. We asked them then to come in and actually interview all of our high potentials across the globe and develop two profiles, market and then our internal culture profile. And, and, and they did that. It was a, well, I thought it was money well invested. Uh, and we then started to see as we, we then had all of the existing executives assessed against both cultures, about, uh, both profiles, but then we used it in the hiring practice. And, and it was, and again, a lot of companies use assessment tools as a knockout factor today. We never did. We used it only as a, another set of eyes, another interviewer. It was, a, it was a yay or nay in the interview cycle against all the other interviewers. It was one voice, not the final voice. And, and so we, when we used it, we then would hire those executives. And then from there, we would work collaboratively with our HR partners and Pam and, and the leadership and development team and hand over their formal assessments. And then Pam would take it from there and develop programs. So let me shift it over to you, Pam. Yeah, sure. So um, there's a couple of things that come to mind when I think about that experience and what I've seen since then. Um, typically speaking, talent management organizations, learning and development organizations internally and the talent um, acquisition team, so recruiters, um, typically have um, sit in different parts of the organization that might yep. still report up into HR, but they yep. sit in different parts of the organization. Um, but at the core, they're sort of after the same thing which is to make sure that you've got the right people in the right job with the right skill set in the right place at the right time. Talent acquisition teams typically think about how do we buy that talent into the organization and talent management or learning and development teams are thinking about how do we build that capability internally. Yeah. But it, So they're the yin and the yang of each other, basically, because the goal is the same. We just approach it from two very different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the use of assessment is a great way to sort of bring those things together and help to bridge the gap. Because during the interview process, whether it's through the formal assessment process that Pat was describing or through all the data that you collect during your interview process, you actually know a lot about the candidate that you're right. about to hire, both where their strengths are, which is why you're hiring them, but also about potentially some development areas where they might need some strengthening. But also you can start to get a picture of what's their potential growth gonna look like. 
And so oftentimes an organization will hire somebody um, at a potentially at a higher skill level than what they really need, because eventually they're going to need that skill set. And so they're thinking about the future much more than what their immediate need is. So if you can take all of that assessment data that Pat was describing that you get during the interview process, and then use that to help the person start their job at your new organization in a really successful way with a 30-day plan or a 60-day plan, working with the hiring manager to help them think about who are the key stakeholders that they're gonna to need to be working with. And so how do we get those meetings set up for them really early on in their career uh, and really early on in their tenure? Um, and why are they meeting with that person? How are they gonna to have to work with that person? What kinds of development needs do they have? Do they need to um, understand more about your products and solutions? And so how do you get them enrolled in the right kinds of programs for that? Do you have a proprietary sales model that they're going to need to learn? How do you make sure that they get that information? But you know all of that coming out of the interview process and through the hiring process, you know all their strengths and all their gaps. And so a lot of times that data just lives with the talent acquisition team and it never actually makes itself into the organization as part of the fabric of how do you help to onboard somebody and help to make sure that they're successful. Yep. So I think that's one of the things that Pat and I worked really collaboratively with, and I've seen other organizations starting to do more of. Yep. But the other thing that I think the assessment data really helped us with um, was to help make internal decisions yep. about where, when we wanted to promote somebody or through succession management, where we're making smart decisions around succession management. Right. It also helped us to identify why, in some cases, executives that had recently been promoted into bigger, broader jobs might have been struggling. So um, one of the experiences that we had was um, a leader, a, a, a leadership team. So one of our regional presidents had his entire executive team go through the assessment process. And what we uncovered was that somebody who was currently struggling in their role was struggling because they were really a builder. And so if you were to put them in a new market unit and ask them to create the market unit, they were a rock star. But the minute that you put them in a role that was already an established market unit and wanted them to grow the market unit, let's just say from 1,000 to 10,000, they were never going to be successful. That wasn't their strong suit. Right. And so what it helped us to do was to not put this person who was a very senior person in the organization, had been with the organization for a really long time, it gave us insight to say, oh, this makes sense why this is not working. We need to actually take them out of this role and put them into our next emerging market. And they will soar and we need to continue to do that. That's this person's career path. And so the assessment data can be used in a lot of different ways. I think a lot of organizations think of assessments as being punitive, but in fact, the data is so rich and can really help you think about somebody's career plan, somebody's career growth opportunities, uh, and help to sort of um, align that with somebody's own aspirations. Uh, Pam, if I could cut in with a yeah. question here. What's your sense of, because that sounds like it makes perfect sense and would be a, an extremely valuable tool for companies to have right now. What's your sense of, uh, you know, do a quarter of the companies sort of have those tools in place or a third? Is it 75%? That is a hard question to answer. Um, and often organizations have assessments like that in place uh, for certain levels within the organization, but not all the way throughout the organization. Okay. They can be, depending upon how you've set your assessment up, they can be really expensive. And as Pat said, they can sometimes be very time consuming. Um, so I, my my hunch is that at least 50% of organizations have them for at least some level and above. 
it's probably a lesser number that does some kind of more formalized assessment at all levels of the organization. Yeah, yeah. And mind you, Bob. I don't know, Pat, what's your... Yeah, and Bob, mind you, this was more specific to leaders. So yes. executive yes. recruiting coupled in. And, and I don't think that, that, that there's a big percentage of companies that have done it. I mean, there's a, a tremendous marketplace around assessment tools for account executives and uh, finance people and what have you. And we know that they work and they're brilliant, but there are very few that were really built specifically for those analytic skills that Pam mentioned around the ability to identify individual scalability and frankly, you know, their, their hidden talents. Yeah. Um, and if, if I, if I may, I'd like to get back a little bit, because if there's other people on, you know, that watch this, that are interested in some of this, the tactics, one of the things that I thought really benefited this process in a big way was as we started to build this out, we, the talent acquisition team, the executive talent team, we built in, we required a very unique interviewer model. Each interviewer had a different role and they were set up so that they had very different plan. Pam mentioned it earlier. When the interviews were complete, the only way we got a full picture of that candidate was by doing an individual debrief with all of the interviewers to be able to see the different components that each of those interviewers. So, so two things happened. One, candidate experience was, was, was enhanced dramatically because the candidate never got the same question from you know, two different people. And they were treated uniquely in the way that they were, they were really asked. But what to me, what really benefited this model was we created this interviewer responsibility uh, program, but then we partnered with L&D, uh, Irene at the time, Pam, and, and they built uh, the interviewer guide for each one of those roles, mm -hmm. each, each one of those interviewers, so that they had key characteristics and questions that they could refer to. Now, they could do it on their own, but they had a different responsibility. But I thought it was brilliant that we had these interviewer guides that we were able to provide to the interviewers before they actually met the candidates. And I felt that the interviewers came out of it feeling much stronger in the way that they viewed their, their assessment of the talent that they were, they were meeting. And then it, I think it also gave the L&D team a much broader picture of, to Pam's point, you know, you, you get a lot of data about the individual from the, in, from the people that interviewed them. But we were very succinct in the way we were getting or giving the L&D team a lot of data at that point. Yeah, I think two other things about that that um, that we did and I've seen more organizations doing over time is also training your interviewers yeah. so they know how to um, they know how to probe on certain things. They know how to sort of almost like a rubric. They know how to take in the data and be able to assess it against the um, the um, skills and experiences and against the responsibilities of the role, um, rather than it being more of a gut feeling about, oh, I like this person or I don't like this person. Um, and what I've seen more and more organizations doing is bringing that that group of interviewers together uh, at the beginning. So the hiring manager spends some time really talking about what the role is, what the role requires, um, what they think is needed, et cetera. So everybody's on the same level playing field when they go into their interviews with the candidate, um, rather than me having a set of assumptions about what the job is or what the requirements are. 
and you, Bob, having a different set of expectations about that. So we're sort of working at the same level playing field and then bringing that group back together again after the interviews have been done to debrief um, the experience that each one of the interviewers had with the candidate. And so you just have much more rich data to go on before you make that decision. And I think there's a balance that needs to be found about how much time that takes, particularly given the war for talent and how quickly candidates are coming off the market these days. There's a real balance that you need to find for your own organization and what makes sense. Yeah. But I love the idea, Pam. You were right on the money about the training because we had a lot of interviewers in the early days that really didn't know what to do or they were setting pecking orders and they were making the experience not as comfortable as it yeah. should be. And I, to your point, that training paid dividends for, you know, for the long term. We also focused, and Pam was integral in all this, around retention because that was a big component of the, the leadership team's you know, desire to not only bring in the best and brightest, but also develop them and retain them. And so that put a burden on the L&D side and Pam's and her, her, her leadership team to be able to really create individualized programs. And I thought that differentiated us. And I, and I think to this day, even to this day, we were very fortunate. We hit the market at the right time, but we we're very fortunate to really attract what I consider to be, at, you know, at a certain point in the marketplace, probably some of the best and brightest market uh, leaders in, uh, you know, in that particular era. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, I think, you know, I think we did a good job. Uh, and again, I see this in other organizations sort of building on it and accelerating it today of having a balance between some programmatic enterprise level programs um, around leadership development and then um, making sure that you had enough tailored experiences for leaders um, so that you were helping them to close their close their gaps or get the experiences that they needed. Exactly. Um, one of the things that we did was try and identify as an example, you know, what experiences did every one of our regional presidents have that we could say was a common theme. And so, uh, you know, we sort of figured out what that was and then systematically thought about, okay, well, if these are the people who are in succession or are identified as high potentials to move into that kind of role, how do we give them that set of experiences, whether that maybe was an international experience or a rotation through a marketing department or a rotation through product development, but how do you give them the experiences that they don't have? that you know for your organization thematically has helped to support everybody who's ever been successful in that role, um, which takes a lot of internal research and, and you know, would be much easier to do today with all of the AI tools that are available and a lot of the predictive index tools that are available that weren't just weren't available when we were doing this. But there are some organizations who do this really, really well today. Um, and really think about how do they continue to grow their talent uh, so that uh, somebody doesn't need to leave the organization to go have a different set of experiences. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think the blend of enterprise level programs that help you get to a core of what are the expectations that you have for your leaders, making sure everybody understands that and you're resourcing them to be able to deliver on that and then understanding what do you need to do to tailor to make it a more personal experience for your leaders, finding that right balance and that blend is was the secret sauce then, and I still think it's the secret sauce today. Absolutely agree. Could I, uh, I just wanted to offer one thought. Uh, I, I really loved what you were describing there, Pam, about the, and, and Pat, the need is, if you're gonna have a candidate come in, a high level candidate come in and be interviewed by you know four or five, six people that each of those pers- people understand you've got a particular role, we want to get this out of because. I suspect a lot of us have been through some of those where 
one of the people you go in to be interviewed by, you know, never asks a question says, well, let me tell you about, you know, my experience, you know, which, you know, in a way is nice and interesting, but not, perhaps not, you know, uh, really effective to the purpose. And also, folks, I just wanted to take a second here to offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. If you think of a world-class gymnast like Simone Biles, you think of someone bringing the A game to her sport, the absolute highest level you can think of, and you can get to that level in business as well. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. It's when automation is effortless and therefore allows people to focus on innovation. You can find out more at bmc.com slash A game. And again, Pat and Pam, as an outsider, I just find this fascinating what you're describing. It goes back a little to my question to Pam about how many companies have this for high-level leaders, because it's almost like the ones that don't in a marketplace like this at a time like this, when the leadership is so critical and companies have to move more quickly than ever before, get those people in the right spots. It's got to be an enormous advantage for companies that do have these capabilities and programs in place. So um, it, it, it's fascinating hearing uh, the two of you describe this because in a way it all makes common sense, but for many companies, they've never had this. So it might be common sense, but for them, it's not a priority. And I think what you're laying out here is this is why it needs to be a priority. Absolutely. And what we find is now for me as a recruiter, <clears throat> we find that if your company has those programs that are actually, you know, advanced and creative, the retention is much higher. With those companies that are by happenstance or like Pam said, more programmatic versus individualized, it's a lot easier to recruit people out. And I, and I will, I will continue to say that's a, you know, that's a huge issue. Uh, and Pam made, made comment on a couple of other topics that I'd like you to kind of elaborate on. We were then able to, or learning was, certainly recruiting was out of it at that point, but we were then able to, as a company, create you know, rotation programs, high potential programs. And, and I personally believe they also helped establish that the culture of the company, there was a unique culture that was purposefully designed by the leaders of the company. And, and we had a reputation in the market of being somewhat aggressive. And you know, we, had, we wanted healthy egos, but we wanted mature people that had them in check. But Pam mentioned earlier about uh, the rotation programs and certainly how uh, they were they became even more important down the road. And then ultimately individualized coaching. So I, I'd like to kind of ask Pam, if you would, to kind of share a little more around those two programs. I thought they were essential. Yeah, sure. Pat, before I go there, though, I wanted to um, underscore something that you said earlier, which is um, the programmatic sort of enterprise level programs that we offered being a retention tool. Mm -hmm. I think they are a retention tool. And I also think they're an attraction tool. Because I think more and more today, candidates care about what will the organization do to help to grow and develop me. So again, the more that the talent acquisition team and the recruiters understand about the kinds of internal programs and development offerings that the organization is offering, the more they can weave that into the overall message about why it's um, advantageous for somebody to come work for our organization. So I think it works like many things that are yin and yang about talent acquisition and talent management or learning and development, this is just another thing that if your talent acquisition team understands the career paths and how the organization thinks about career growth, they can absolutely use that as part of the attraction to the organization as well. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so you know, with rotation programs, um, there's a lot of different ways that you can set those up and a lot of, uh, a lot of things that 
may or may not work depending upon the organization that you have and the culture that you have. And I think the biggest thing that worked for us was this understanding at the highest level that the people that we had working within the organization were um, not working for a specific person or in a specific function, but they were, and I hate the word asset when we talk about people, but they were talents that should be shared across the organization. And um, and sharing that talent across the organization was part of the culture that the leader that Pat's describing was trying to instill at the time. And so there was, there was a sense that um, both from an individual level for the employee themselves or the leader themselves, but also at the organizational level, it was a good thing for somebody to leave my team to go work in another team and share their experiences and learn from these other, you know, learn different parts of the business that overall was just going to be good for business. Um, which a lot of times at, at all levels of the organization, you see managers or leaders sort of trying to hoard their talent. And that was something that was really against the culture that we had at the time. Um, and I think that really helped uh, the success of rotation programs. Um, and we defined a few different kinds of rotation programs. So some were short-term rotations, some were longer-term rotations. Uh, a lot of it was based on what the employee or the leader's career aspiration was. And again, some of it was around as an example, every successful regional president we had had at some point in their time done a stint in marketing. And I was sort of in succession for that kind of role. And I never had a role in marketing. So let's rotate that person into an appropriate marketing role. So they got those experiences. Then the other thing that we did um, really well that I think a lot of organizations forget about is we included the leader in the conversation. And so oftentimes succession plans happen people get identified on a succession plan. Nobody ever actually talks to the person about, hey, you've been identified for this role. And then you go and offer the role to the person because they're next in line for succession. And they're like, yeah, that's great. It's not really what I'm interested in. And so one of the things that we did was to make that conversation and help people to understand why were we asking you to go into marketing or why were we looking for a role for you in marketing, help them to understand how that fit into our bigger vision for them, but also to make sure that it fit with their vision for themselves. Um, and so I think including the person in that conversation was super important to the success of those types of programs. Um, the other thing that Pat mentioned was coaching. Um, and I am a big proponent of coaching, particularly at specific moments in time yeah. in somebody's career. Because the, the time that somebody is most open to coaching is when they're about to embark on something new. Because when you don't know what to do, because you're going into a new role, you do what you know which is not always the right thing to do in the new role. So having somebody who's on your side, who is non-judgmental, who you can really talk to about um, and be vulnerable, vulnerable with as you're moving into this new role is super important to helping people and setting them up for success. So I think individual coaches play a really significant role and did at that time in helping to set our leaders up to be successful. Um, oftentimes, like assessments, people think of coaching as being something punitive. And in that organization and in other organizations I've worked with since, we never use coaching or often did not use coaching for punitive reasons. It was always to help position you and resource you to be successful moving forward. Yeah, excellent topic. Excellent points, Pam. So one of the things that we, we had the opportunity to really uh, do at the time, and I want to encourage other companies if they're watching this, is to recognize that there is an opportunity in the marketplace. And, 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 I, and Bob, you and I have talked about this before. Today's social media, social world, 
really allows for all the candidates to see more of the good and the bad of your company in the marketplace. Glassdoor, Glass, you know, all of the all of the 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 uh, other tools and and assessment uh, tools that are out there. Frankly, avail. Uh, there's just nothing to hide. So if you are able to, as a company, um, begin now and tie, particularly executive recruiting and talent development in within an HR function. It's it's the early stages of being able to really be a, a market attractive company for the early talent as they look at their own personal career advancement. And, and I personally think in today's marketplace, it's so it's changed so dramatically that it really is incumbent upon, you know, the not just the HR executives, which are you know critical in this in this discussion, but the actual president CEOs of the companies to recognize that they can talk about, you know, as you said, Bob earlier, you know, the, their employees being in their biggest asset, but their actions certainly just aren't showing that. And today's social media really takes the covers off of that and companies are more vulnerable than they've ever been. Yeah, could not agree more. And I think certainly over the last two years with the pandemic um, and how organizations have shown up and treated their employees during the pandemic, it, it was it's probably never been more clear um, what organizations have values or culture or statements on their walls, but nobody really pays attention to it. And which ones they're, yes, they might be on the wall, but more importantly, they're really embedded in the DNA of the organization. Uh, and I mean, some of the stories that we've heard around, you know, how organizations treated their employees during the pandemic in all sorts of really amazing, positive, just completely supportive types of ways. And there was an equal number of stories about organizations that just clearly did not care about their employees' well-being during the pandemic. Um, and while maybe uh, because we were living through a pandemic, it didn't impact their ability to hire, attract, and retain employees, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, it absolutely will. And so if you didn't care about your culture before and you didn't care about it during the pandemic, it will certainly hurt you moving forward. And I think it's a long recovery time for organizations that haven't really been intentional about their culture up until now. Absolutely. And to that point, and Bob, you know this as well as I do, there are a lot of really good recruiters out there that are going to capitalize on those failures that these companies have created, you know, during the pandemic. So, you know, they need to be aware. Yeah, for sure. Well, Pat and Pam, um, can I just offer each of you a sort of a final thought here? Uh, Pam, could we start with you? It's been fascinating, the new insights and, uh, you know, perspectives you've brought, both from, you know, your, your extensive experience and expertise that you've built up uh, now, especially in our, our offering through PS Squared, but also in this nutty time we're in, right, uh, Pam, as you just described here, things that companies didn't do during the pandemic, maybe people said, okay, I'll put this on hold, but as soon as we got a chance to do something different, they're out of there. Yep. Yeah. I think um, from my perspective, um, I think the other challenge that organizations are facing today is just the multi-generational world in which their employees, like the generation span that you have employees working today. Uh, you know, Pat talked about social and the and the impact that social is having. That is true for a generation. It may not be true for all of your generations. Right. And so as organizations think about the culture that they want and how they're reinforcing the culture, there isn't a one-stop shop for everybody, certainly not for every company, but even within a company, you need to think about it for your different part, 
you know, your different segments, whether that's your different lines of businesses, because uh, organization that has a really strong product and tech organization, what the messages that are going to work for them may or may not be the same messages that work to attract and retain your salespeople. And so you really need to think about the messages that you're delivering and the, like I said earlier, sort of the um, the promises that you're making to your employees. But you need to think about that holistically across the organization because there isn't a one-stop shop even for everybody in the same company. So I think that would sort of be my final thought about that. Yep. Yep. Well said, Pam. Well said. Pat, how about you? Final thought for, for today? Um, having been fortunate to have worked for some amazing companies and leaders, I think the example that we need to take away at this point is, is be very thoughtful around building your culture, purposeful, as Pam mentioned. Be very aware of not just talking about the asset of employees, but actually doing something about it. It's not that hard. It's a little challenging, I think, to be able to hire I think the right- it just right... takes discipline. Yeah, it does. And it, well, you got to hire the right teams too, the right sure. recruiters, yep. the right you know, talent development, the right HR executives that are, you know, that are creative. We know and we understand, and I'm not faulting this, we understand that there's such a focus on diversity today. But I think that's taken away from the fundamentals that really need to continue to be a part of that along with you know, focused on diversity. It's essential. Diversity of thought and of, of, of uh, talents, uh, I think, as Pam mentioned, makes for a, you know, a great company. But if you don't develop them, if you don't assess them, if you don't build a plan and execute that plan and hire the right people, the failure factor is huge. And frankly, good recruiters are going to capitalize on it. Pam, let me just, as we, as we end, Pam, let me ask for you to make sure you give uh, your, your connection again, your contact around consulting services, uh, and I'll do the same. Yeah, sure. So easiest way to get in touch with me is just Pam at psquaredadvisors.com. And that's spelled out, Pam, P-S squared? Squared, correct. Advisors.com, okay. And, and if you're interested in executive uh, consulting services, uh, you can reach me at pat at careerav.com. Well, Pam and Pat, thanks so much. Uh, Pam, I, uh, I, I learned a great deal from what you described today. And you're just sort of so smart and so together on this. I have a hard time getting how that you and Pat work so well. <laughs> <laughs> Bring intelligence and thoughtfulness to some. I thought, Pat, it was just his straight up charm. They say opposites attract, right? <laughs> we, we, little be known, we did bang heads once in a while, but it was always on the right topics. And I yeah. think, honestly, Pam, it made you and I that much better because yeah. of it. Again, it's a, it was a yin and it's a yin, talent Absolutely. acquisition and talent management is just a yin and the yang of each other. Yeah, that's so. fantastic. Well, Pam, Pat, thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed the discussion today. And I hope it's one of those things that will push companies that think they've got all this stuff worked out, but actually haven't put the discipline and the effort and the focus on it, right? Um, it, it's a choice like everything else. You put something into this, you're going to get the rewards. But I just don't understand how today that any company in any industry feels that, you know, that, that somehow nothing's changed. We're, we're, you know, middle of the pack and how we look at this and we'll be fine because you're, they're not, the world's changed real fast. And I think both of you have made it very clear with some excellent advice for how to move forward on this. So I, I think it's been great. And Pam, thanks for being a guest here, Pat, as always, thank you so much. Uh, great, great insights. You know thanks how much for having we me. appreciate it. Yeah. 
And we know how much we appreciate the opportunity to have these discussions, Bob. So thank you very much. Oh, great stuff. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. This has been a uh, really, really lively discussion with Pam Seplo from PSSquaredAdvisors.com and Pat Fitzgerald from CareerApp.com. Thanks a lot for being with us. Look forward to seeing you next time. All right. Now, this is something.